Good evening, Wisdom Eccentrics by Nat Chung Rinpoche, Chapter 21. I smiled when Rinpoche said, without knowledge of the principle and function, Dzogchen Menak Day is meaningless. I knew as soon as I heard these words that he fully intended to give me the teachings I'd requested. Rinpoche also knew by my smile that I knew what he meant. On this occasion, there was no need to verify my perception. Looking back, I feel this was probably the wisest choice I ever made during our conversations. Chapter 21. Just look, Nyoshul. Oh yeah, Rinpoche smiled as I entered the room. Today I am so happy to see you. Now for two days you have not been a Tomyor. This makes me very happy. Today I will tell you about something else that concerns Nyoshul and how to learn. But this, I think, you already know. Anyway, it is important. You will see. Paltrel was resting up a while. He was in one of the caves in Upper Do, the rugged, craggy, windswept region where Do Kiense pitched his car. Whilst he was in residence, an old nomad Nakpa called Sherab Dorje took to visiting him, asking for instructions. He was a simple, good-natured fellow, sincere and honest. He had no pretensions to anything beyond practice and hoped for nothing apart from continuing with practice to the point of his death and beyond. Sherab Dorje crossed the river in a yak-hide coracle every day to visit Paltrel while he was in residence in that retreat cave. He made the journey no matter what the weather flung at him and made the journey home often under torturous conditions. One day, however, the river was in severe spate and the current was so savage that Sherab Dorje's coracle capsized. The old Nakpa drowned. Paltrel left his cave immediately he perceived what had happened. He ran down to the riverbank where Sherab Dorje had been hauled ashore by some nomads who had witnessed the calamity. His wife and other family members had been summoned and gradually they all arrived on the scene. There was considerable commotion. Everyone was in tears. Sherab Dorje was much loved by everyone in the locality and his wife was inconsolable. Death by drowning is considered highly inauspicious amongst the nomads and so various relatives petitioned Paltrel to intervene on behalf of the old Nakpa in order to ensure that a decent rebirth would be assured. They were all terribly afraid that death by drowning might precipitate the old fellow into some foul backwater of existence infested by hideous vituperative sadists. Paltrel told them not to worry. That Nakpa's bound for glory. There's not much need to do anything. Sherab Dorje's doing just fine on his own. He was an experienced yogi. He died whilst in pursuit of teaching, braving the torrent to meet me. 
The nomads were happy to hear that Paltrel thought so highly of their kith and kin. However, they wanted to see some ritual going on. As far as they were concerned, rituals are what make the difference. Fancy talk about Sherab Dorje not needing any help were all well and good, but bells ringing and drums rattling were the basis of real confidence. Paltrel told them, Well, if it would make you feel better, I'd be only too happy to oblige with rites and rituals appropriate to the occasion. Sherab Dorje's relatives were enormously relieved that the great Zarpaldral Rimshe would help their lowly Nakba. They sat waiting for the liturgical formalities to commence. They wanted to make sure that something was going to be chanted. Paltrel sat down with Nyoshul on the high bank of the river at the foot of the rise that led to the caves. His other disciples were also there, having gathered from the various caves that pocked the mountainside in clusters below their lama's hermitage. They'd followed Paltrel down to the river, being aware that something momentous was afoot. Paltrel instructed them as to the nature of the rituals they were to perform together and his disciples set about making their preparations, whilst Paltrel sat and stared at the sky. Once everything was organised, the yogis began to perform poa and bardo recitations. All was proceeding in a traditional manner, and the nomads were well pleased that Sherab Dorje was getting everything that was conventional and proper. Before they'd got much further than the dissolution of the elements, however, Paltrel started laughing quietly to himself. After some further moments, he became so amused by the whole business that he quit recitation altogether. He let his disciples continue on their own, being careful not to be observed in his mirth by Sherab Dorje's relatives. Nyoshul, however, took it all in and was more than a little bewildered. He leaned over toward his teacher. What amuses you, Rinpoche? Paltrel just pointed at the sky. Nyoshul looked up but couldn't see anything much. He didn't really know what he was supposed to be looking for, so proceeded to scan the horizon for some clue. There was obviously something out there somewhere. Paltrel observed him for a while. Nyoshul was looking for something, as if it were hidden, as if it were something very difficult to see. He nudged Nyoshul gently and indicated the sky again. Just look, but this time with a broad sweep of his hand. Nyoshul renewed his efforts to see something, but only succeeded in becoming more tense. I'm sorry, Rinpoche, I don't see anything. Paltrel chuckled all the more. Just look, Nyoshul, he whispered, indicating the broad expanse of sky, but this time using both hands. Nyoshul looked again and attempted simply to be present with his vision and the visual field. He could barely detect it, but yes, it was raining, a very fine, thin drizzle, a mere mist. 
Through the infin infinitesimal blizzard of blossoms, the sun was shining brightly from out of an ink-dark sky. There were rainbows everywhere, flickering throughout the curtain of mist in sporadic frissons. There are rainbows everywhere, Nyoshul exclaimed. Why didn't I see it before? He was entranced by the glimmering colours that came and went, appearing in swirling pools of colour before his eyes. Gazing into the drizzle was gazing into a dazzling sphere of Tigles. Is that why you are laughing, Rinpoche? Paltrell put his hand on Nyoshul's shoulder in a kindly way. No, he replied softly, but this was also a cause for amusement. Nyoshul looked bewildered. See these people, said Paltrell, Sherabdorje's wife and these relatives of his. Nyoshul looked as if he might see something unusual about them, but they looked like a fairly typical collection of nomads. What is unusual about them? Nyoshul asked. They're very sad, aren't they, Nyoshul? Yes, was the obvious reply, and it was duly given. They're also very anxious about Sherab Dorje's rebirth, aren't they? Nyoshul agreed. Then, dear Nyoshul, look at yourself. You don't understand why your crazy old llama is laughing, do you? Nyoshul answered. No, I can't understand. Paltrell shook his head in disbelief. Do you think that old Paltrell has no compassion for Sherab Dorje? Is that why old Paltrell is laughing? Poor Nyoshul, this was a situation. He didn't know what to say or think or do. Look at the bedraggled corpse of old Sherab Dorje, dear Nyoshul. This is a sad sight, isn't it? Nyoshul had no problem with that idea. It was a sad sight. Then look at me, dear Nyoshul. I do not see a sad sight. I know that old Sherab Dorje is a great practitioner. I know that he's not simply this battered baggage of human remains. People think that because he was a rough nomad Nakba that he had no spiritual power. People think that spiritual power rests with those who live in monasteries or those with big names like Nyoshul and Paltrell. I know differently. I see that he had no difficulty with the bardos, in spite of drowning. I only had to think of him, and that was enough to remind him what to do, how to keep his awareness. And now he has sent us this rain as a sign that he is happy. There is no need for us to do these rites for him, as if he were merely a layman with no knowledge or experience. This performance is just for the sake of his relatives. They do not understand that what we are doing is like tipping boiling water into a boiling kettle. Just make sure that it boils. Anyone who saw such a thing 
could not help but laugh. Yoshal smiled. Yes, he sighed, and none of us here can see that. Paltrow sat silently for a moment, gazing at the spectacle of subtle rainbows. Yoshal joined his teacher, gazing into the opalescent mist. After some moments, he asked, how can I learn to see that? Paltrow grinned, still staring into the rain of flowers. Just look, Yoshal. Rinpoche poured out two beers immediately he'd concluded the story and commenced to slake his thirst. Paltrow repeats the words, just look, Nyoshal, in each story, and he does so several times. Rinpoche gave me a wolfish grin. I knew this grin well, but now it no longer betokened that events were going to get tricky. It betokened curiosity as to what I'd say. Yeah, he inquired. What do you say about these stories? Well, Rinpoche, Nyoshal's often quite literal, so Pautrel is always encouraging him to try to see what is in front of him, to see what is, just there, outside the obvious conventional structure of how things are commonly seen. Rinpoche nodded, so I continued. Nyoshal seems to see what's conventionally obvious rather than seeing in a way that opens itself to the unexpected. And, I added, Paltrow simply keeps reminding him to look beyond what's conventionally obvious. Rinpoche nodded again. And so, again, I continued. Mostly, people see what they expect to see rather than what is actually there. People also see the behaviour they expect to see and hear the language they expect to hear. To see or hear anything else requires that one is open to any possibility. I remember being on a walk with someone once and she gave me a running commentary on every plant she saw. That's agrimony, she said, and that's butterbur, knapweed, mallow, toadflax, celandine, speedwell, teasel. Pemadorje looked flummoxed, so I told him not to bother searching for these plants in his dictionary. After a while, this long list of plants started to feel like a distraction from the natural beauty that surrounded me. It wasn't that the information was uninteresting, but it didn't help me enjoy what I was seeing. If I'd wanted to plant any of it in, in a garden, it might have been useful to know the names, but I saw no purpose in knowing these names for no reason. Rinpoche nodded vigorously, and so I went further. We only classify the world for certain reasons, for example, plants can be food or medicine and we need to know what is poisonous. But the sense-making frameworks we build are no more than that. They don't really describe what we see or hear. They simply give us a means of controlling them according to what we think we want. 
Then we have all kinds of ideas and prejudices based on how we label everything. Oh yeah, this you see extremely clearly. I like how you explain this.